We're in a short three-sermon uh, series called The Theology of Three, and uh, <clears throat> one God, three persons, <clears throat> excuse me. And today is, who is Jesus? And, and that's just a little symbol, uh, that's a Celtic symbol of the Trinity up there. And, uh, and, and I said I'm not going to preach on the Trinity at whole, but um, Pete was saying about the pastor's um, teaching and trying to, you know, deepen our knowledge, and I'm going to test that today. I'm going to, I'm going to go a little bit deep, but I, but I hope you'll hang in there with me, um, and and uh, and and I want you to hang in there and and listen well. And and you can be open your Bibles to the Book of John, chapter five, if you're using the Bible provided for you there. It's page uh, one thousand and fifty-eight, one zero five eight, and I'm just going to read one one verse there. And you would think. Preaching on Jesus is easy, or about Jesus is easy, and in a sense, it absolutely is. Um, but as I'm going to say in the sermon, I'm going to repeat what I'm about to say, and that is every page in the Bible talks about Jesus. So I can't preach Genesis to Revelation. I've got to pick a few little things out to talk about in this short time. So um, just about every word that I will say today has 50 verses when it's about Jesus, 50 verses explaining some of that. But I want you to listen carefully to John 5, 39. This is a quote of Jesus. And if you will look at it, he's talking to the Pharisees here. And um, they, were, uh, they were just having a, a little trouble with him. And he's explaining who he is. And in verse 38, he says, You do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he sent, which he was talking about himself. He's telling them, you don't have God's word in you because you don't believe in me. Jesus in John 1, 1 says, the Bible says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God, right? And so he says that to them, and then he look at verse 39, he says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. So he's giving them a compliment. Y'all study the Bible, but their Bible, remember, was just the Old Testament, Genesis to Malachi. And he says, and it is they that bear witness about me. So Jesus lets us know that all of Scripture is about him. Yet we have said about the Trinity that God is three in one and they're equal in power and essence and in glory. And, and, and that's true. And so I wanted to just help just a moment. And I can't, I got, I can't. I can only take a moment, but I got about an hour's worth here. So let me, let me try to say this. I'll ask a simple question. When did Jesus become the Son of God? And when did God the Father become the Father God of Jesus? Well, there's a great answer to that. It always was that way. Now, if it's, if it's that's not the words that we're supposed to use. God didn't give us any other words to use. Um, but it is a way that we can understand what he did for us and in us and with us. He, it explains the relationship he wants to have with us uh, in this. And there are four statements that I can make that are commonly held by all churches like ours. I don't mean Baptist, but we call them evangelical churches as we believe the Bible is the Word of God. And we worship God in Trinity and the Trinity in, in one, one and three and three and one. And so here's the first statement. There's only one, there is one and only one true God. We believe that. Number two, 
The one God eternally exists in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. These three persons are completely equal in attributes, each with the, uh, with the same divine nature. And fourthly, while each person is fully and completely God, the persons are not identical. Now, those were just four statements. You probably didn't get them. I'm not going to say them again, but you can review the tape. Make, you know, reverse the call, whatever you want to do after you watch the tape. It's football season, right? They're watching the tape to reverse calls. But I'm going to give you a, a creedal statement that comes from not our denomination. And it's based on a much older one. But I'm going to use this one uh, because of exactly what it says. And it says this. In, in the unity of the Godhead, there be three persons of one substance, power, and eternity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Father is of none, neither begotten nor proceeding. The Son is eternally begotten of the Father and the Holy Spirit eternally proceeding from the Father and the Son. Now, those were a lot of words, and uh, that, that's as deep as I'm going to go about all that. But what it is saying is, put it in my South Carolina redneck way, that there was never a time that God the Father was not the Father. There was never a time Jesus the Son was not the Son. There was never a time the Holy Spirit did not exist. Jesus didn't have to die and the Holy Spirit is not his ghost of him there. And, and here's what I want you to catch. God did not incorporate divinity into humanness. He brought humanness into the divine. He, brought, he, he became human. He became a man at Bethlehem. Jesus did. Uh, representing the, the whole trinity. And so God now has humanity with him on the throne. That's why he loves us so much. And the father was always the father. And his essence has always been emanating to Christ. But it goes back the other way as well. And between them, the Holy Spirit is also coming from them. They are, that power is together. I want you to understand something. I, I, I just read a scientific article uh, today, yesterday, um, they found the most perfectly preserved dinosaur ever. And it, they were digging some, doing some ex, ex, excavating. I can't say that word, so I shouldn't try. Up in Alberta, Canada, and they dug into some sand and they broke it in half. And so they lost half of it because they were just using a big excavator. But they saw it and they stopped. And the half they got was the front half. And the skin was perfectly uh, preserved. So they've got a skinned dinosaur. And guess what happened? They said somehow the moment it died, it sunk to the bottom of the sea and went down into the sand and there was preserved. Oh, you know, just a mere several hundred million years ago. No, about 6,000 years ago when the flood happened is when it happened. Do you understand that everything we see, everything we discover, everything we realize as we send out telescopes into space, send probes out of, our, out of our solar system into the galaxy, all of that, there was a time where there was nothing except God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit existing in likeness, in power, in attributes, perfectly content, needing nothing, and Jesus through him, the Father's will to Jesus, the Father emanates the Son. That's why I quoted John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He is the Word of God that shows us God. 
Just like a word explains my thoughts, Jesus explains God to us because we can't see him. You got it? Okay, good. So he's always speaking for the Trinity. And we call the Bible the Word of God because it is. It's the written Word, but Jesus is the living Word. So the written Word and the living Word reveals God to us through the person of Jesus Christ. So he was always the Son. God was always the Father. The Holy Spirit was always there. And matter came to be when God said, be created. And there it was. So that is hard for our human minds to imagine, isn't it? It is mine. Maybe you've got a stronger mind than me, but... That just doesn't make sense, does it? Well, good. Then God is greater than us, right? So we kind of know what it says, but we can't fully comprehend it, so that's why it bothers us. But I just said something that Jesus is in every page of Scripture. And that is from the beginning of Genesis on. And I I have to give credit to a man named Glenn uh, Shriver, or Scriver, uh, Scrivener, he, he, he gave us some words and a way to look at this, and he gave us some examples. And I'm going to run through those real quickly. And that is that, that in the Old Testament, we see in almost every event and almost every person a pattern and a promise and a presence of God, but it's always the presence of Christ. And so I'm going to give you three examples that you're pretty familiar with. The first one would be um, in the Garden of Eden. And so, we see, uh, we see Jesus patterned in uh, the Garden of Eden. Uh, he's going for a walk uh, in the garden with, the, with Adam and Eve. And the pattern is a substitutionary pattern. That is, the guilty become robed in righteousness. Jesus killed an animal and made skin, uh, clothes for them out of the skin, remember? Was that animal guilty of anything? No, it's just doing what God made it to do. But God killed it and made a robe of righteousness for them to clothe their nakedness. We, the Bible says, we are clothed in Christ. The promise there, in Genesis 3.15, think about it. God never cursed the man or the woman. He said, you're going to labor, you're going to have some trouble. But he didn't curse them like he cursed the ground. He cursed uh, the devil and and condemned them forever to uh, a, a tough time. But... He says in Genesis 3.15 that the seed of the woman will fight the seed of Satan or Satan himself. And that the seed of the woman and only one woman ever carried seed and that was Mary will crush that serpent's head. And Jesus is present because who is this creator Lord that walks with his creation in the Garden of Eden? In Genesis 3.8, Jonathan Edwards said it this way. When we read in sacred history what God did from time to time towards the church and people, how he revealed himself to them, we are to understand it especially of the second person of the Trinity or Jesus Christ. When we read of God appearing in the full form uh, or after the fall in some visible form, we are ordinarily, if not universally, to understand that it's Jesus. So the greatest Christian mind ever on this continent It explains that to us. There's another one. Remember when Abraham was supposed to sacrifice Isaac? God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, take him on the mountain, sacrifice him. And then he gets up there, builds the altar and all that. And on the way up, the son says, hey, here's some wood, here's some fire, here's a rope and a knife, but where's the lamb? And Abraham said to his son Isaac, the Lord himself will provide a lamb. 
And they get on top of the mountain and Isaac willfully lets himself be bound. He was about 19, 20 years old. Abraham was about 120 years old. And so he could have fought his dad off, but instead he willingly surrendered to the will of his father and of the father in heaven. And he laid on the altar. And when Abraham got his hand up here, God stayed his hand, said, don't do it. And he's, I got a feeling Abraham went, thank you, Lord. And then he looked and there was a ram in the thicket. So he sacrificed the lamb. Remember that story? Well, here's the pattern. All of God's promises here are focused in his beloved son. All the promises in the Bible are focused on Jesus. If he is sacrificed, God would have to somehow bring him back from the dead. Uh, how'd that happen? In order, to, in order to bless the world. Because God told Abraham, out of your seed all the world will be blessed. And this is the only one that God said it was going to be. And then he tells him to kill him. And Abraham's obedient. I'm sure he had some questions, but he was obedient until God said, don't do that. And so, by the way, the book of Hebrews tells us Abraham believed in his heart that even if he sacrificed Isaac, God would raise him from the dead. But here's something interesting. Isaac was to be sacrificed on a mountain in the region that eventually became Jerusalem. And Isaac carried the wood on his back up that mountain to be sacrificed. And all the while, Abraham believed he would receive his son back from the dead, which is in Hebrews. Here's the promise. Moses called that mountain, the Lord will provide. And it's still called that to this day. That's in verse 14 of Genesis 22. On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And for hundreds of years, for thousands of years. You remember the hymn we sing at Christmas, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus? For thousands of years, the Jewish people looked toward that mountain near Jerusalem, or the one Jerusalem's in, and they pointed to that hill saying, God will provide a deliverer. God will provide a savior. And they were looking to that mountain. And in verse 11 of Genesis 22 an angel intervenes. We see the presence of Jesus. And in verse 15, he speaks again. He speaks in verse 11. He speaks again in verse 15. And though he's sent by the Lord, it says, he speaks as the Lord. And he says, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, I will surely bless, I will surely multiply, in verse 16 and 17. The angel's name could have been translated the sent one who insists he's from the Lord and that he is the Lord. And so we see Christ there. And then the burning bush, you're all familiar with that. I learned a little bit about this one. Plants are always presented in Scripture, many, most of the time in Scripture, to God's people or to the king, the flowering olive tree, the, the, the fig tree, all those things. The Israelites of Egypt are in fire of affliction in Egypt. And here's the pattern, the king, their king, the great I am, descends into a bush and burns it without consuming it so he can be with his people to lead them out. He, he comes into their suffering himself. And the pattern of the exodus is the pattern of the gospel. Here was the promise, the entire exodus is the promise of Jesus Christ. Catch this, the seed of Abraham will bless and rule the nations. The question is, is the seed singular or plural? This is in verse 12 of Exodus 3. The answer is yes. 
It's singular and plural. The plural is Israel, but it singularly comes down to Christ. In, Gen- in Galatians 3.16, it tells us that. And so in Genesis 15, the Lord prophesied a suffering and a rising pattern for the seed of Abraham. The seed will be enslaved. The seed will be afflicted. And judgment will come through the seed, but it will come out to a greater glory. And Jesus is present. The dr- divine name, I am, is preserved in the name Yahweh which God gave to, to Moses on, ex, on the mountain in Exodus 3. And the name is used 6,800 times in the Hebrew Bible. God's saying, I am, I am, I am, I am. 6,800 times in the Bible. John Owen said that the angel of the covenant, the great angel of the presence of God, was the name and nature of God. This is no other but the Son of God. In Jude, verse 5, Jesus saved the people out of the land of Egypt. Jesus Christ is the God of Egypt and of Israel and of the whole body, the Bible. Listen, Jesus is the great I am whom Abraham rejoiced to see. That's found in John 8. The Lord was, who motivated Moses is Christ, according to Hebrews 11. The Redeemer who brought him out of Egypt was Jesus, Jude 5. The rock that that was in the wilderness from which they got water, 1 Corinthians 10, was Christ. And the King of Isaiah's temple was envisioned was the Son of God in John 12. Well, that's who Jesus is in the Bible. And so by the end of this sermon, I want you to worship Jesus because... He is the focus of God's purpose on earth. And you have to realize that. And here's something that we have done. I mentioned we're called evangelicals. I'm not sure I even like that word, but it's okay. It's what they call us, so that's cool. But here's a problem I think we have. We have reduced Jesus to just coming and dying for sinners. But there's a whole bigger thing going on here, y'all. And we saw it in the garden. We saw it. In other places, the Bible tells us what happened before the garden. And that is that God made these angels and he made these beautiful angels. This morning, our Sunday school teacher was teaching out of Daniel 10. And, and in that, Gabriel came and gave a message to Daniel and said, I was hindered by this, this, the prince of Persia and I had to call Michael. And now I got to go back. And when I go back, the prince of Greece is going to come and he's going to fight with us. And nobody can fight them except Michael and I. Well, this is a picture of Satan and this warfare going on in heaven. And we believe that Satan, when he was created as a beautiful angel, was, was these three were the top three angels in a sense. And the only two left are Michael and Gabriel. And Satan's the third one. That's kind of how we understand it. And spiritual warfare is going on because there came a day where this created being that was created to be the most beautiful and to bring the most praise and glory to Christ defects from the kingdom. And that's a big deal. And he carried other angels with him. And then he brought that rebellion into mankind by tempting Adam. And Adam fell. And Jesus is the one who put on humanity to pass the test and redeem us from that sin. And that is glorious. Amen? Amen, that's glorious. But now, sometimes we think, well, it's just about him coming to save us. But to save us, he had to defeat Satan and the battle, the war is won, but the battle's not over. We're still fighting. 
We are called into that warfare. We're called into a spiritual warfare against principalities and powers and and darkness in heavenly places. Listen, I, I started preaching on the Trinity and all of a sudden everything's gone weird. A couple of weeks ago, we, we had a, a, a festival. This weekend, they're having a festival. I guess it was just last week and the other one. Or two weeks ago, I guess now. And, and I'm not saying everybody there is evil or anything like that. But I am saying, you, you, if you've got an empty lot, Satan will build a playground on it. If you leave a door open, he'll walk into that room and take possession of it. And when we open ourselves in the spiritual realm to things that will hurt us, we're going to get hurt. And we are supposed to be doing war. And we do war in prayer. It's called war on the floor. And we pray against these things. And we can't do that without the presence of Jesus in our life. He's the one that brought all the promises to God to us. The Bible says in Revelation 3.8, He's the Lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. Before God created all of this, He knew what would happen. And He already decided in His divine sovereignty is divine foreknowledge that he would come and be the sacrifice for us just as Isaac Isaac represented on that mountain the entire bible is the story of God's redemption through Jesus I read that verse to you he said look at the scriptures there what teaches of me after Jesus resurrection you remember he's on the road of Emmaus and there were two guys walking along and Jesus kind of joined them somehow he disguised himself and said what are you guys talking about you talk you seem very animated there Again, this is Stuart's redneck translation. You seem, uh, you seem very animated. And you're talking, you said, man, are you a stranger to these parts? Don't you hear what's going on? They killed this guy, Jesus. And now his disciples are saying that he came back from the dead. And we don't know what's going on. And Jesus said, oh, you foolish and so slow of heart to believe all that the prophets and Moses and all the prophets told you. It meant the whole Old Testament. And then the Bible says, and beginning at Genesis, at Moses He proclaimed to them all the promises of his coming. And then they sat down to supper and Jesus prayed. And the way he prayed, they went, that's Jesus. And he was gone. And the only reason God didn't record that sermon is us preachers would never preach any other one but that one. (laughs) But we know that that is what the entire Bible is about. And because of what Jesus did, he's been given a name above every name. We sang it this morning. Amen. We sang a song, you have a name above every name. He has an exalted position. He reigns over creation. That's Philippians chapter 2, and where, where the Bible says, Therefore God highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In Hebrews 1, the Bible refers us to Christ, and it's a long passage. We can shorten the sentence. The passage says, long ago, many times, many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He's the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He makes purification for sin, and he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. The way you shorten that, take out all the prepositional phrases, says God has spoken in these last days through his son who sat down. And when the judge sits down, that means court's in session. And when he rose from the dead, he sat down and said, okay, we're going to start the rule, and you guys are the warriors. You're supposed to get out there and fight the spiritual enemy that you can't even see. 
But you can see by eyes of faith that this is a spiritual fight, and you're going to fight it spiritually. And you're going to make a difference that way. He is that warrior king. One of the names of Jesus. He is the captain of the Lord's army. I wanted to go to Joshua. You remember? They, they had crossed Jordan. And the first thing I got to do is take down uh, that uh, Jericho. And he's, he's wandering on it. He's thinking there. He's praying. He's sitting there. Probably drawing out a battle plan. And all of a sudden he looks up. And there's a man standing with a sword in his hand. And he jumps up, grabs his sword. He says, hey, are you for us or against us? He said, neither. I'm captain of God's armies. Take off your shoes for where you stand is holy ground. And no angel would ever say that. Only God has the right to say that. And it was Jesus with his sword in his hand saying, we go into war, brother. And I'm going to take you with me. And that's what he said on the cross. And that's what he said in his resurrection. And that's what he said on the day he ascended. Last week we sang that song. I loved it. My favorite phrase in that particular song, Pastor Andy. He said, and then the, the, the church was born. And the Holy Spirit lit the flame. Friend, we're to be a light. We're to be a power. We're to be warriors in an army. And we can't do that without Jesus. And the Bible promises us that he is with us. You see... I want you to catch on to what I'm trying to say, and I'll make a real point of it. Everything God promised us comes by the redemption through Jesus Christ. I said it more succinctly up there. Jesus' redemption paid for everything. Jesus gained all of God's promises for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I'm fond of quoting it. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Sylvanius and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, But in him it's always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Everything the Bible promises us between these pages. Jesus paid for on the cross and it's ours. We have God's presence. We have God's power. We have God's authority to go into all the world and fight the enemies of, of God and the kingdom through the gospel to tell people who are lost and don't know Jesus that in him God will make all things right maybe not today but one day everything will be made right but he'll be with us as we go through our suffering here on earth he will stay close beside us and Jesus made a way for the throne room to be open to us you ever thought about that you don't just bow your head and say, well, hey, God, uh, like it's me again. And, uh, you know, I think we ought to be a little bit more careful than that. Here's what Jesus said. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. And that's John 16, 23. Jesus says we can go straight to the Father, but in his name. I can't walk in and say, hey, Stuart here. I walk in and say, Father. In the name of Jesus, the only unique son of God. He told me I could use his name when I came in. I come boldly, it says in Hebrews, to the throne of grace and ask for grace here to have the power to live the life you call me to live. Jesus opened that door. Remember he said that somewhere in John 10, I am the door and through me you come in and go out. A door is a functional hole in a wall. And that wall was sin. That wall is the difference between the physical we live in and the spiritual that we live in. And Jesus said, you want to get on the other side of that, you got to go through me, through the door. Right? And he is the door. He has done that for us. 
And Jesus will do, a, we will do a greater work. Jesus will do greater works through us by the Holy Spirit because he's the gift of God. John 14, 12, he said, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will you do because I'm going to the Father. If Jesus had just stayed, we would not have the Holy Spirit given to us. But now that he has, every person in this room that is a believer has the third person of the Trinity living inside you. Paul said, we have this power in earthen vessels. In other words, the power of God's living in a bunch of crackpots. But when your pot's crack, the light can shine out, right? Man, that's glorious. When we go through trials and tribulations, our Sunday school teacher today said, never trust a leader who doesn't limp. I thought that was good. If you don't know what that means, hang on. You try to be a leader, you'll figure it out. Because we mess up, we fail, we're hurt. But that is where the glory comes shining through. Because if I'm all complete and good, I don't need God. Hey, I'm just God's greatest thing he ever thought of. No, Jesus is the greatest thing he thought of because it's himself. And he's opened the door so the Holy Spirit can live in us and we can operate in that power. The power of the Holy Spirit in us. And he said, you can do greater works than I did. Because now all of us, just one man in a body, he's located in one spot. But when the Holy Spirit lives in believers all around the world, you've heard the news of Israel this week. Did you know one in four Christian churches in Israel are Palestinian Christians? Not all Palestinians in Israel want to kill Israel. They want to preach the gospel. We, we try to partner with one of them. We need to pray for our brothers and sisters in Israel, Jew, Arab, other doesn't matter we need to pray for God's will to be done but here's what I love the most Jesus coming back to finish this war that's in Revelation 19 and 20 buckle in I'm gonna read two chapters to you I'm gonna try not to do that but first of all the bride made herself ready in the beginning of chapter 19 of Revelation he said after this I heard what seemed to be a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. As they were being martyred, the powers of this world were killing Christians. And now the king is coming to win the war. And it says, once more they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke... From her goes up forever and ever. And all the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. Then I heard heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude like roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. And that is the church. And the bride is finally ready for the wedding. It was granted to her to clothe herself in fine linen and bright and pure, the righteous robes of Jesus. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. 
And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. But then he goes on. It's one thing to say it, then he does it. Heaven opens and he comes in power. And I saw heaven open and behold, a white horse. White always stands for righteousness in the Bible. And the one sitting on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. Remember? That's how he revealed himself to Joshua, the captain of God's armies. His eyes are a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems. Those are crowns. And he has a name written on him no one knows but himself. And he's clothed in a robe dipped in blood. What blood? His blood. By the name and the name by which he is called is the word of God. In the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen and white and pure were following him on white horses. That's us, y'all. Whew, that's going to be, if you never rode a horse, you're going to ride one that day. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. Last week I told you to God the nations are a drop in the bucket, dust on the scale. No, they're nothing. No, they're less than nothing, Isaiah said. And now God is coming to judge the nations. And he'll rule them with a rod of iron. And he'll tread the wide press of his fury and the wrath of God Almighty on his robe and his thigh. It's a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And the world is going to make war against that in futility. Can you imagine being here and seeing the sky open and God coming on a white horse, fixing to take charge, and you try to kill him? It's hard to kill a dead man that rose back, isn't it? And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called the birds that fly directly overhead, Come, gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings. The flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him, who's sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet who was in his presence had done signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. And these two were thrown alive in the lake of fire, burns with sulfur. Sounds like a pretty quick fight to me. And the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who's sitting on the horse. And all the birds were gorged on their flesh. Say, man, that's dark. Yeah, it is. But not for us. We're in the army that's going to (laughs) win. That's why we need to bring as many into the kingdom as we can. But you see, he goes on that. He brings final judgment in the next chapter. Because it says... I saw an angel coming down from heaven with a key in his hand, the bottomless pit and a great chain, and he binds and seizes the dragon and binds him up, that ancient serpent who's the devil and Satan, and he's bound for a thousand years, and he throws him in the pit and sealed it so no one, he could not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years are ended. And after that, he must be released for a little while. And then he tells a story, and a thousand years go by. The Bible covers a thousand years from one verse to the next. We just know a thousand years happened. And if a thousand years are over, Satan is released from prison. He comes out to deceive the nations at the four corners of the earth. Gog and Magog gather for battle. Their number is like the sands of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth, surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city. And then fire came down from heaven and consumed all of them. That's awesome. 
And the devil who deceived them has thrown the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they'll be tormented day and night. How long? Forever and ever and ever and ever. But only for a moment before that. And I saw a great white throne, and he who was seated on it. And from his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. The books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books. What's in the books is what you did. And if you're judged out of those books, you're going to hell. Can you imagine a guy going to court for murder and looking at the judge and saying, I only murdered one guy. That's how we justify sin. Well, I know I did that back then, but I haven't done it since. So, if you've ever stolen, you're a thief. If you ever lusted, you're an adulterer. If you ever hated, you're a murderer, according to Jesus. And that charge doesn't go away until Jesus pays for it by his blood. And at this judgment, these are the ones who rejected Jesus. And so the dead are judged, but it's written in the books. And the sea gave up the dead that were in at death, and hell gave up the dead that were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. And death and hell were thrown in the lake of fire, and that's the second death, the lake of fire. Anyone's name's not found written in the book of life, he's thrown in the lake of fire. The Bible says God wrote our name in the book of life before there was creation. He knows his. But I skipped a part because it's the best part. I didn't want to end with all that judgment and warfare and all that. And it's in chapter 20, but it's up there in verse 4 through 6. And I saw thrones. And seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge had been committed. And also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast or its image. That's the political system of the world, y'all. We don't pledge allegiance to that. We pledge allegiance to God Almighty, period. And not receive the mark on their foreheads or their hands. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. And the rest of the dead did not come to life till the thousand years were ended because they're going to be judged. I already read about that. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over sits the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for that thousand years. That's what we're headed to. That's where we're going. You can live for this world if you want to, but the ending is horrible. It's like jumping off a high building. The fall won't kill you, but that sudden stop will. And if you're living for that, that sudden stop at the end is not going to be nice. But if you're living for Christ, there is no stop at the end. You just move from earth to heaven. You just take the next step. And one step was here, and the next step is on God's soil. The next breath you breathe is God's air. The next voice you hear is the Lord's voice. And it's a wonderful thing. And blessed are those who have died in Christ. Well, he calls us to live for him, doesn't he? And that's what I want to ask you to do. I want to ask you today. I, I, I just, everything I said has a hundred more verses to it. 
And I want you to understand, I, I, I didn't want to read all that. <laughs> but I couldn't say it better than what God said it. And that's who we serve, the one who's going to be revealed like that at the end. We like to put Jesus in a crib every year and keep him down there. Because that's somebody we can, we can understand that. But boy, when we start thinking about who he is now, when his best friend saw him like that, he fell as a dead man at his feet. Because he saw Jesus exalted. And one day we're going to stand in his presence. And he's going to ask us, what did you do with what I gave you? And if we hit it, that's not going to be good. But if we used it to glorify him and to bring praise to him. And through Jesus, the Father is glorified. Through the power of the Spirit, we, we can do the works of Christ that he has for us. And the Trinity is glorified when we glorify God by doing what he called us to do. And what did he ask us to do? He asked us to love each other. He asked us to love him first, supremely. To love each other and to love lost people enough to tell them the gospel. Everything outside of that is not what he asked us to do. That's what he asked us to do. It's not complicated. We like to complicate it with motion and noise and a bunch of other stuff. But he called us to love each other. To love him, to love each other. And to tell, love lost people who need to know Christ.